0: This is after Jesus has died and he's risen again from the dead and now he's been walking around with his disciples for 40 days. He's just about to ascend into heaven and he looks at his disciples It says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, we spent the last few months from the beginning of September till now looking at this idea of worship. And uh, it's been my hope and my goal that as we come to the end of this and as we move on to another series, that as a congregation we would begin to understand worship as being part of everything we do. That as we go to work each day, that we see that as being worship. Or as we go to the grocery store... And when you have lots of kids, a lot, you go to the grocery store often, you see that as worship. Or as you drive down the road, you see that as worship. Every, every single thing that we do, we want to be worshipped to our God. And it's really what we want to be the center of everything we do as a church and as a congregation. We, we've had this statement, we, we want to be a church that's worshipping The triune God in community, as a community, for the community. That's that's who we want to be. And in order to help us understand worship, we've kind of had this definition that I keep bringing up because it helps us think of worship maybe a little differently than we normally do and it helps us understand how worship can be part of our everyday life. So worship is a response of adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is And what he's done. So the character of God, but also the work that God is doing. And so what that means is it means that we're worshiping God when we step out of church and we see his creation and we go, wow. Right. You're worshiping God when you do that. But also it means that you're worshiping God when you read something in scripture and you go. Oh, I need to do that. I need to submit to Him. And then you submit yourself and you follow God. You're actually worshiping Him in that. You're honoring Him in doing that. But it means you're also worshiping God when you just trust Him in the midst of a really difficult situation. And you go, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how this is going to work out. But you are God and I am not. And so I'll trust you. You're worshiping God in that moment and you're worshiping God when you just find joy in worshiping him and worship and following him there there's a joy of the lord and when you just are enjoying following Christ that's worship and and this morning as we look at our passage we have another reason or another another way to think about how to worship Jesus for who he is he has this pretty pretty incredible statement that i, I think we sometimes gloss over, but he's looking out at his disciples, he's right about to ascend into heaven, and he says, all right, guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's take a minute to think about that. All authority in heaven, the unseen realm, so we, and on earth has been given to Jesus. Everything. So you, you walk out, if it's not cloudy tonight, you walk out, you look out, you see stars that are, you know, 50 billion miles away, and Jesus says, yep, I've got authority over those. And the angels and demons and all these things that are going on that we can't even see, the unseen world, he goes, I've got authority over that too. And then he looks at your life and, and the way you work and the way you live and the way you're parent. And he says, yep, I've got authority over that too. All authority. Anything you see and things you can't see, Jesus says, I have authority over that. In heaven and on earth, it's all been given to me. And that should, that should stir our hearts to worship. Right. I mean, that should give a, that should stir our hearts to adore him as being the one who's king of kings and and lord of lords. We should say, Jesus, that's amazing. You have all authority in all, in heaven and on earth It should cause us to submit to him because, well, he's king of kings and lord of lords. We should listen to him. Right. We should submit to him. We should trust him because not only is he have all authority in heaven and on earth, but. He knows the beginning from the end. And so the God who knows all things and is in control of all things, it's usually a good idea to trust him. And then it should find joy because not only is he ruling and reigning over all things, but now he's come in and said, and guess what? You are going to be my people and you are my children. And I have an inheritance for you. And I'm going to walk with you through this life and so you can find joy in it. And so this stirs our hearts to worship him. And then he says, therefore, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. I mean, what he's saying is, guess what? I am ruler over all of the nations, right? That's part of my greeting every day. He is the the ruler of the kings of this earth. And he says, I, I, I have all authority over the nations and so now as my people go out and I want you to tell the nations who's king. I want you to go out and tell them Jesus is king. I want you to go out and tell them Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. And I know this because the Bible tells me so, right? You're going to go out into the world and say that because Jesus is already king. And... And when we do that, when we begin to make disciples of the nations, that there's kind of uh, concentric circles around that. And so in Acts, when Jesus is just about to ascend into heaven, he says something similar to his disciples. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so if you want to rephrase that into our context, he's saying, all right, people of God, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses in Beaver Dam, in Dodge County, and Wisconsin, and to the ends of the earth. And uh, the ends of the earth one kind of hits us a little bit and you go, whoa, wait a second. But, But the point is, and the point of what Jesus is getting at with his disciples is that Yes, he's called us to make disciples of all the nations. But if we're going to make disciples of the nations, it needs to start right where we're living. Right here first. And, and I do want to say, yes, it's extremely important for us to support Don Slager and all the other missionaries we support that are going overseas and, and bringing the gospel to Liberia and, and other places. Don't hear me saying that's not important because that's extremely important. But what I am saying is that all of that starts with us making disciples of this community where God has placed us right now. Because we're surrounded. We're surrounded by people right here in Beaver Dam that need to know the gospel. Um, I just got this statistic a few weeks ago. Over 60% of the population of Beaver Dam are not involved in a local church. Okay, 60%. That's, you know, the strong majority of the people in this community are not involved in a local church. And so that means we've got 60% of our people who need to be discipled. They need to hear the gospel. They need to learn how to follow Jesus. And God has placed us here in Beaver Dam as salt and light. And my favorite analogy is leaven or yeast. He's placed us here so that his impact and his influence kind of spreads beyond our church like yeast spreading through the dough and it spreads throughout Beaver Dam and then it spreads throughout Dodge County and then it spreads throughout Wisconsin and then it spreads throughout the nation and then it spreads even to the ends of the earth. It's a pretty big, expansive view of the church, isn't it? Of what God's called us to do. And I can about imagine what was going through the disciples' minds when Jesus said this to them, Right? I mean, he's talking to a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. He said, all right, here's your job. Um, I'm leaving. Um, now you go, you know, save the world, basically. All right. And they're going, what are you talking about? I mean, we, we don't know. I could go catch some fish, but, but I don't know how to disciple the nations. And, they, you know, I can imagine them saying we could never do that. And yet, now here we sit 2,000 years later, and guess how far Christianity has spread throughout the world. I mean, there's almost every nation has Christians in it. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done, don't get me wrong. But you could start, I could have put up a huge list of all the nations that have Christians in them. we don't even know all of them. And 2,000 years later, the gospel has spread to the ends of the earth. And the disciples would have said, we can't do that. And and Jesus said, "I know, but I can." And so when we when we start to talk about maybe bringing the gospel into Beaver Dam, right? We've got a population of about seventeen thousand people. It can kind of make us feel uneasy, and we can think we could never do that. And Jesus says, "You can with me," and I'm telling you to do it. Look at look at what's happened throughout the whole earth with the gospel. I think I think. I can handle Beaver Dam. And so go make disciples of the community of Beaver Dam. And and he says what we need to do is not worry so much about it, but just step out in faith and trust him. And what that just means is we need to worship him. We need to adore him, submit to him, trust him, find joy in him, and then do that out in the community. Um, Or as as part of our statement, says we need to be worshiping God for the community. And and one of the things that's really struck me as I was thinking about worshiping God for the community is just recognizing that our concept of community in our kind of current culture is way bigger than it has been throughout the centuries, right? So I remember I talked to people... Um, I, I, I like to read journals of my relatives and stuff from a hundred years ago, and, and their their community was pretty small because travel was really difficult, right? So you you didn't get out and go places, you didn't you, you didn't hop on a plane and fly to Liberia four times a year like Don does, right? And it was just, I mean, taking an hour trip somewhere was a big deal, and so your community was pretty small. But now. Because of technology, our community is huge, right? I mean, we we interact with people from different countries, different places all over the. I mean, we can do it through social media, sure, but even even in broader ways, we can hop on a plane and fly. Um, but even more, I think, for us to think about this morning, is to realize that not only can we go to the nations, but the nations are actually coming here. Um, one of the one of the things I had a professor in my undergrad program in Minnesota pointed out, and this is in Minnesota, but in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, there's, and this was seven years ago, there were 750,000 first-generation immigrants in the Twin Cities. And then he said, and the vast majority of them are coming from countries that are closed to the gospel. You can't preach the gospel to them in their country, but guess what? They're coming here, and we can preach the gospel to them. And so what are we doing about it, church, right? And so he was pointing that out. But now we don't have that many here. But one of the things I realized this week is um, I was thinking about it. So I looked up another statistic this week. But if we were to just walk you know, a block that way and four or five blocks that way, you hit Wayland Academy and they say on their web page they have 20 different countries represented, just like five blocks away from our church, 20 different countries sitting over there coming here where we can present the gospel to them. And so it's, there's tremendous opportunity for us to reach the nations right here, right here in our community. And and one of the things I, I always like to emphasize in uh, when I preach on the Great Commission is that the main command of this passage is actually not go. It's actually... Make disciples. And, and the way you make disciples is by going and baptizing and teaching. But the command is, make disciples. And, and th- that's important because it doesn't say, just make converts. Okay? And so there, there has been this kind of, when, when people get really excited to reach the nations, they can, they'll kind of go into a town, they'll say, repent and believe in Jesus. And people will believe and they'll say, okay, I'm going And then they take off and they go somewhere else. And and what you're doing is making converts, not disciples, in that instance. That the call is for us to call people to believe in Jesus and then say, all right, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to help disciple you. And I'm going to teach you how to really teach you how to worship. I'm going to teach you how to adore God, how to submit to God, how to trust God, how to find joy. In following God. We need to be people who are worshiping. And and that's what Jesus says in the rest of this passage. He says, go make disciples of all the nations. And then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. And that really fits in with what I've been saying about worship. We're teaching them to adore, submit, trust, and enjoy God. Teach them to obey. You've got to walk with them, make them disciples. And 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 if you kind of get the the one phrase that I would say that kind of sums up this whole series that we've been doing is that God calls us to be worshippers who are teaching other people how to worship. He calls us to be worshippers who teach other people how to worship. And, and that, that's really our goal and our mission. And, and if we understand it that way, it takes, I think it takes some of the, the anxiety out of going out and sharing our faith and stuff. No, we're just going out to teach people how to worship, how to adore God, how to submit, how to trust, and how to enjoy. And, uh, but it, in the first place, we need to be people who worship. We really need to worship God. Um, you, can't, you can't fake it. And uh, and, you know, the reason why a lot of now I don't I don't always buy it when people are like, oh the church is a bunch of hypocrites because most of them have never been in the church. They don't really know. But but the reason why there's this idea of the church being hypocrites is because there's people who have felt like they've had to fake their worship of God. And then in order to win people. And the point is, we really need to worship God. We really need to be a people who adore God. Just as you're going through life, you're seeing what God is doing and who he is and we're adoring him. And we really need to be a people who are submitting to God, deny, taking up our cross, denying ourselves, as he said. We need to be a people who are trusting him with our everyday lives and we need to be people who are enjoying him. And as we do that, as we actually worship him in our everyday lives, then it kind of overflows as we start talking to other people. Um, John Piper has this great quote. He says, Worship has always been the fire that fuels our passion to reach the peoples who do not worship the true God through Jesus Christ. Like worship is what gets you going. It's what gets your heart inflamed. And, and when you start to know how beautiful and glorious it is to, to worship God and follow Him, and then you have friends and family who aren't doing that, you want to help them see, right? You want, you want them to know what it's like to worship God. And so then you start to talk to them. And, and the reality is, is when you're worshiping God truly and you start to talk to them about worshiping God, then you can speak to them about your own experience. You can talk, teach them how to worship God because, well, you've been doing it. And you have an opportunity to just come in and say, wow, I saw that sunrise. Did you see that sunrise the other morning? God is good right that's that's evangelism, or you could step in and you could say man i I was really tempted to make this really dumb decision and uh and yet God told me i shouldn't, and so I said, Trust you god i'm going to submit to you and then it saved me from a whole world of hurt that's evangelism you're teaching them how to worship, you could say, man i that time in my life where I had everything seemed to be coming down on me, it just I felt like I was about to drown, and yet I just said. Lord, I trust you. You can talk to them about these stories and that's all evangelism. Or you just help them to see that being a follower of Jesus is not dull and dumb and boring. There's joy in it. You know, The joy of, our Lord, of the Lord is our strength. And so we start to naturally talk to people about it. And when we're actually worshiping, we have stories and opportunities to talk to them and to share with them. But I think we can also be, so it happens naturally, but I think there's a level where we want to even just ramp it up and make it a little intentional. And, and one of the ways I like to encourage people, and it kind of pushes us to think a little bit differently, is to take one area of your life where you're just regularly meeting people, and non-Christians in particular, and then claim that as your mission field. And then just be intentional about building relationships and having conversations in that one area. Say, this is: I take this grocery store and I claim it for Jesus Christ and I'm going to go here and I'm going to intentionally buy my groceries in ways that I talk to people about Jesus. Or gas stations or whatever it is. Where are places that you're regularly doing that? Just go there and then just be intentional about building relationships with people. Help them to know what it's like to worship the Lord. And and the the reason I'm I'm saying that is because when when we it's easy for us to think when we talk about worshiping for the community and, and doing evangelism our our gut instinct has been we need to create programs, we need to create fancy things and we need to spend all this money and we need to have a whole bunch of committee meetings and we need to and really it's as simple as just keep doing the things that God has told you to do and do them worshipfully and meet people. You don't have to spend any extra money. You're already spending money at the grocery store. Just do it intentionally and talk to people, right? Or or you're already going here. You don't have to spend money. You don't have to plan all these committees. You just live your life intentionally with the gospel. That's That's what it means. That's what it means to worship for the community. And that's really... That's this everyday sort of worship. And as you can tell, I get kind of fired up about this kind of stuff. I get excited about it. And as I was working through this sermon and praying about it, I was kind of dreaming and beginning to think, like, what if that statistic changed? And in 10 years, 80% of the community was regularly involved in the church. I mean, can you imagine what Beaver Dam would look like? I mean, it's exciting, Right. I mean, it's really, really exciting to think of what God could do and the power that he could do by just Christians worshiping in their everyday lives. And yet, so I know I get excited, I get fired up about it, but then some of you start going, hold on a second, this is a little bigger than what I signed on for. <laughs> like, I thought I was just going to teach Sunday school. Now you're talking about, like, taking over Beaver Dam or something, right? And so we start to get kind of nervous or maybe overwhelmed, and we think... How would I even start? You know, I'm not really smart enough to go out and do this. I'm not, I don't know the Bible well enough to do this. You know, I'm not organized enough. I just, I just don't know. And it can be kind of overwhelming. And I'm assuming the disciples felt overwhelmed too when he said, all right, go save the world. And so Jesus ends and he looks at them and says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That as the disciples start, their pulse started quickening and their palms probably got sweaty and they probably had beads of sweat on their forehead. Thinking about this big task that God had given them, Jesus says, Hey, look at me. I'm here for you. You think I'm leaving for a while, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm part of me. I'm going to be in heaven, but my spirit's going to be present with you. And I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to strengthen you. And I'm going to empower you. And I'm going to guide you. And when you open your mouth to speak, I'm going to give you words to speak. And I'm going to give you wisdom. And I'm going to give you passion. And I'm going to be right by your side the whole time you do all of this. So don't freak out. Don't be afraid. Just take the next step in faith because I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere until I come again. And then I'm still not going anywhere. I'm still here, right? So I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here with you all the way to the very end of the age. So don't be afraid or overwhelmed. Just take the next step of faith. And he's telling us that this morning, too, as we start to think about I mean, right, it can be overwhelming thinking, what, what area of my life does God want me to claim as my mission field, whether it's a workplace or a grocery store or whatever, and you can kind of start to get nervous about it and worry about what's God going to do or how's this going to work out, and he just says, just calm down. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm walking right by your side. I'm holding you by the hand. I'll probably drag you by the scruff of your neck a couple of times, but I'll get you there and I'm going to encourage you and strengthen you and I'm going to give you words to speak so that when you meet that person in the gas station and you open your mouth, I'll give you something. So just take the next step in faith and and trust me. I'm with you to the very end so that you can make disciples of Beaver Dam. I'm not going anywhere. And so we'll leave this morning as worshipers who are teaching other people to worship, but we're also leaving with our Savior right at our side, recognizing that apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him by our side, he says, we can disciple the nations, and we definitely can disciple Beaver Dam. So he said, leave here in faith and leave here worshiping him for the community. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks for the powerful calling that you have placed on our lives. And we give you thanks for being one who has all authority in heaven and on earth we give you thanks for being a God who has promised to never leave us and to always be with us. And we pray that we rest and trust in you as we leave here and go through our daily lives, that we take each step and each breath trusting in you. We pray that you would stir courage and boldness in us to enter the community with the gospel. Pray that you would stir our hearts to be people who truly worship you and then give us courage and boldness to teach other people how to worship. Lord, keep our eyes on you and be with us. We pray that everything we say and do in every area of our lives would bring glory and honor to you. We pray all of this in the name of your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who's seated on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.